I V M. Why is it so difficult to run a restaurant in India? And why haven't governments like the government of Karnataka given out a single new liquor license in years? And what does this mean for the cost of your food? This week on the Pragati podcast, we try and understand how restaurants and dining out is changing in India, and how governments often get in the way of this with arcane laws. Welcome to the Pragati podcast, a weekly talk show on public policy, economics, and international relations. We are your hosts, Hamsini Hariharan and Pavan Srinath. To talk about all things restaurants, we are joined today by Manu Chandra and Madhu Menon. Chef Manu Chandra is a household name to pretty much anyone who cares about food and cuisine in Bangalore. He is an alumnus of the Culinary Institute of America in New York and has been running a host of amazing restaurants in India. He is chef partner at Toast and Tonic, The Fatty Bow, and Monkey Bar, and an executive chef at Olive Beach. Madhu Menon is my colleague at Pragati, who has many hats, including that of a chef. Madhu is a restaurant consultant, a food writer, and a food photographer. And he used to run a restaurant called Shiok, a Far Eastern cuisine restaurant in Bangalore. We'll be back with Madhu and Manu to talk about restaurants after this short break. Hey everybody, welcome to another week on IVM Podcast. If you are not following us on social media, please do. We're IVM Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Also, I wanted to ask everybody, you know, it would be really great if you could recommend a show that you like to a friend. That's the way that we're going to spread the word about podcasting. Please, please, please go ahead and do that. This week on Cyrus Says, we have film critic Rajiv Masan. Cyrus and Rajiv discuss films they grew up on, the allure of movie stars, and the bright future of Indian films. On Simplified, Chuck, Naren, and Shriket tell us about eco-friendly Ganeshas and how Ganpati immersions can be more environmentally friendly. On the scene and the unseen, Amit speaks to Yazad Jal, a fellow for economic policy at the Takshashila Institute about India's ongoing job crisis. On the Pragati podcast, lawyer and policy analyst Amaya Nayak joins Pawan and Hamsini to discuss the Syrian civil war that has killed half a million people and displaced more than 10 million Syrians. This week on Pesa Vesa, Anupam talks to Deepak Shinoy. Deepak's the founder of Capital Mind and they discuss portfolio management schemes. The Rediscovery Project is coming out with its fourth season. Don't forget to catch Ambika and Hoshana with all new episodes from the 25th of September. And with that, let's go on with the shows. Welcome back. Hi, Manu. Welcome to the Pragati Podcast. And hi, Madhu. It's the first time we are having you here, though you've been uh, running the Pragati website for a long time. Today, we could talk about what's happening in the restaurant and the dining scene in India. India is an odd country where... Uh, people still prefer to eat their meals at home and restaurants are still a dining out experience. So that's how it was even 10 or 15 years ago. So I'm curious to know what all has happened since. And uh, eventually, I think we'll get to how, what kind of a role government is playing in all of this and how maybe they can get out of the way better. But before that, uh, Manu, could you tell us a little about what all you have done in the food scene? Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, Small ask. Well, yes. So, uh, I've definitely been a part of that 15-year process in India where the classical uh, definition of uh, food or eat, you know, dining uh, was limited only to the home. There's been a paradigm shift in that, that entire thing in the last uh, decade and a half. So, I'm a trained chef uh, and I opened uh, my first restaurant in Bangalore, even though I'm not from here. Uh, nearly 15 years ago, Olive Beach, and it's still there. 
so we sort of uh, you know shirked that trend and uh, just kept doing that for a very long time and about 7 years ago we branched off into doing different verticals or different uh, other kinds of uh, products which we felt fit the prevailing market a lot better the so called millennial trend etc uh, essentially uh, more uh, you know all encompassing product rather than uh, sticking to something which is a lot finer and uh, we then opened monkey bar and fatty bow uh, of late we opened toast and tonic these are all the bangalore brands but we also have sort of bottle opener wala okay uh, we have guppy which is a japanese uh, uh, vertical that we have in bombay and delhi uh, and a bunch of other verticals within the larger company and uh, yeah so we're at about uh, 36 restaurants now across the country and uh, doing all kinds of interesting stuff and madhu you've had a <clears throat> very eclectic journey in this as well right yeah at any given point of time i'm doing a bunch of different things mm-hmm. um uh, actually my background is in it so um i studied computer science and i just had an interest in cooking since i was 13 so and at that time uh, in the 90s there wasn't much by way of training in india it was basically institute of hotel management uh, and um, I had really no interest in cleaning rooms or making beds which is part of the whole course I just wanted to cook. Uh so I, after talking to a lot of professionals in the business um I said okay let's not do this as professionally um let's do the other thing I like. So I went abroad to study and I came back and I worked in the IT sector for what 7 years 8 years. And uh, I was you know uh working independently for a bit uh, as a user experience consultant and a lot of the time i was making food for people you know because i get bored cooking for myself and all of these folks used to come and say hey you're in the wrong line of work you should be starting a restaurant and my favorite food is southeast asian um, so there wasn't much of, of that at all in uh, 2002 or so uh, of course uh, um, manu himself runs a bunch of those restaurants now so the scene has completely changed but back then there wasn't much and uh, something possessed me to go start a restaurant which i ran for 7 years and uh, fortunately i shut it down in 2010 uh, after that i took a small sabbatical then i started consulting for restaurants and setting up menus for them and stuff like that i also do food photography um it came out of a uh, interaction with my photographer friend who taught me a lot and then i just liked food so uh for me those two go together pretty well um yeah so that's what i've been doing and okay. of course as you know <laughs> on the side i also uh manage the pragati website because to me that's a worthy cause and i enjoy doing it so what all do you think has changed in the last 15 20 years in india we uh, i mean nowadays a lot of news focuses on what's happening online right so food delivery is taken off um, i think zomato has come on the scene where you know discoverability of restaurants is uh, better but uh, that to me is still just looking at the last few years um, can you take us back from when you both started and what all has happened since then in the food scene in india i mean india is very broad uh, to be able to cover in one okay. podcast but we I mean, can also focus a, on bangalore right i'm yeah, just, happy just to that. give you an example of bangalore i think when we were starting out when we came scouting for locations here uh it was unbelievable i fell in love with the city immediately because it was chilled out it was a great weather there was barely any restaurants uh ub city was still in the foundation stage uh <laughs> sunny's had just opened their new outlet on lebel road or was about to open uh, if i remember correctly uh there wasn't very much in way of uh, interesting dining options there was 
a few tried and tested uh, iconic spaces as they call them now uh, but it was a very fledgling market uh, so i wasn't sure if we would meet any commercial success and we didn't for the first two years actually uh, but we were bailed out essentially back then by a very large expat crowd who was craving you know something closer to home more familiar and uh, and that's really where it started to now when you have you know entire areas which have become restaurant hubs from uh, of course ub city was one of the first ones but that was more a mall format but indranagar kormangla kamanhalli uh, jp nagar it just goes on and on and and that's really what's happened in the last 15 years it's not just the restaurant that's exploded the cities have right. and uh, i mean i'm sure our population in bangalore must have nearly doubled in that uh, time period that in itself creates a uh, tremendous opportunity and um, entrepreneurs from across the country moved into bangalore very quickly uh, i think every time they see in any city when if there's a major player moving in you know it gives a, other people a lot more confidence in saying and especially if they see it meet with any commercial success uh, they think the time is right that was till about 5 years ago what's happened in the last 5 years is a completely different story altogether where you know this explosion in the food space has happened at at every uh, level and every vertical not only in the restaurant space but the allied spaces which feed off the restaurants all right and um, for all the you know unicorn valuations etc you have to realize that all these companies are parasitic in at some level on to the restaurant business and the restaurant business now feel uh, most antagonized by them uh, which is of course uh, a different uh, thing i'm sure madhu can uh, elaborate on further but you would probably say symbiotic but hey parasitic <laughs> works <laughs> uh, i call it parasitic because there's always so much angst uh, especially when you open up um, you know we saw it with yelp in the us and uh, it it just creates a very negative environment and i'm not picking on any one company particularly because this is a malaise that sort of uh, transcends a singular company uh audits are very important and and trying to run businesses responsibly are very important both for the restaurant as as well as aggregators or uh, review sites etc and and i think the uh largest complaint which we can always get to later we were just talking about what's happened in the last uh, you know 10 years and then 5 years added on so that that basically totals up to 15 the last 5 years have have really boomed and uh, it's because of uh, this propensity to consume uh outside uh interesting offerings which you would never be able to get at home dal chawal is not uh, uh the cool thing to eat for a lot of people now because there's availability and there's choice and uh, and there could be an n number of reasons for it you know there's so many pgs now no one wants to sit at home and eat whatever is being given to them at the pg there's no there's no intonation actually and and that's right. really why and it's affordable now i mean you know the consumer and the customer is actually uh on the winning side on this one because the deals that you get right now are just uh, unbelievable uh, for a couple of 100 bucks you can probably have a drink and something to eat and be home uh which didn't happen in the early days because uh, it just didn't right uh, scale competition uh, sponsorships everything has made that trying to drive economies of scale has made that possible because real estate has definitely kept up it's become ridiculously expensive to run a restaurant own any kind of uh, i mean forget ownership very few people own the properties they run restaurants in we're not in the real estate business um it's essentially uh, leasing 
So, when the nature of the city has changed in itself, uh, all this is bound to follow. And that is true across the country in many ways. Um, Delhi, you can see, has become at least three or four satellite cities. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the main city itself. Calcutta is seeing a complete resurgence after a 15-year lull. <laughs> and uh, Bombay has always been, of course, you know, a, a conglomeration of uh, lots of microcosms. And, uh, you know, for Fatty Bao, we have four in one city in Bombay uh, because each area can actually afford to feed in uh, to that kind of, uh, uh, well, uh, we bank on that kind of demand and we do get it. Uh, and there are people who have so many more. So, I mean, it's really, like I said earlier, there's been a paradigm shift from 15 years ago. It's incomparable right now. Right. And not only the number of people increasing and uh, the incomes of people increasing, but people want to spend more on food, right? Food is the, this cliche things about do you eat to live or live to eat and all of that. But it's very evident that people want to spend on food and that will give them either joy. It's, or it's, it's a more, it's, you have to look at it a little more holistically because it's not just about spending on food. It's about spending on the overall experience. Right. The fact that you can actually get out of work and now catch up with your colleagues for a drink. I mean, you have an office right above one of the most popular places in town. I'm sure you guys step down uh, after work, uh, grab a bite to eat, get a drink and then say your good nights. Um, yeah. So it's a lot about that. And when the nature of the beast has changed in itself, uh, the way the businesses are run or are opened are bound to follow. And and that's really what we're seeing. So Bangalore was always called the pub city. And I think it continues to hold that title because I think we have more pubs and microbreweries and gastropubs and bars than any other city per capita. Right. Yeah, it used to be just Kingfisher Draft earlier, you know, the old school. And, and classic rock from the 70s classic. playing in all of them. I, I think that's still there. That's still the <laughs> it's case, like, I think. Uh, yeah. India doesn't think there's any rock music beyond the 70s, but hey, that's a different topic altogether. But now, of course, like you said, microbreweries, everyone has their own brew, some good, some not so good. But hey, I like the fact that there's so much options out there. And if you don't like a place, uh, you can always go to another one. And uh, probably the uh, a few steps down the road anyway. So, can you tell us a little bit about the back end of uh, running restaurants and pubs and so on? Like, how is it like to get the right kind of food that you need? I mean, India's supply chains is still all fragmented. Uh, how is it to get uh, good talent to run as, you know, chefs, as, um, you know, people who are in the services and so on? Can you tell us a little about that? See, we're an aspirational market and we will continue to be so for a very long time. Uh, and we call ourselves a developing economy, obviously. Uh, the end goal for a lot of people are very different here. And uh, talent has been a struggle from the word go, 15 okay. years ago and even now. For the longest time, for people in the hospitality sector, so to speak, um, the only bona fide employment option was five-star hotels. Right. So most of the talent used to go into that. And that's why restaurants per se struggled a lot more in being able to find talented chefs. And that's why you would have always seen that we had a lot more owner-driven restaurants or chefs who were owners of restaurants. And that was everywhere, not only okay. in Bangalore, but across the country. In fact, some of the best known restaurants, let's say when I came back to India, I lived in New York for a while, uh, were people like Rahula Kerkar at Indigo, uh, Ritu Dalmia in Delhi, uh, there was just a handful of chefs doing really interesting work, which could be compared to what was happening globally 
at some level and uh, it's really after all these years if you see a lot of their understudies etc or sous chefs have uh, now risen up the ranks and either open their own or, or leading large uh, groups of restaurants and that's true it peters down uh, across the hierarchy and uh, it you know here the move from being a trainee cook to being an entrepreneur uh, the it's a very short sort of uh, uh, okay. timeline uh, it, <coughs> that's a good thing right it's I mean, not actually because you can't really and that's why you have such high failure rates okay just because you learn five recipes doesn't really make you adept at running an entire business or being a great chef or being innovative enough to constantly create uh, stuff handle the supply chain etc so the aspirational value sometimes turns out to also be our greatest enemy uh, in in this field largely but it also opens up the doors and that's where you know the hospitality business restaurant business specifically is a great gateway for employment for the unemployable um people from across the country will start moving in and you see it now everywhere not only in bangalore again you can go to chennai you can go to cochin you can go wherever and you will see that a lot of kids from the northeast from bengal from madhya pradesh from bihar from up from andhra they all flocking to cities and one of the easiest places they can find employment is the restaurant space Uh, and and, and it's know, also a vehicle for people to learn English. Oh, absolutely, yeah. many things. And, and most of them start skills. off doing nothing. Really, right. it's yeah. not like they were trained anywhere. Um, so they pretty much work their way up the ranks. And um, like you said, that's a good thing. Eventually, you know, bottle washers uh, play, all end up becoming, say, cook, assistant cooks, uh, and then they rise the ranks that way. So they they literally start off washing dishes, and then they start chopping a few things, and then maybe making a few pastes and sauces, and then uh, and then they start maybe making a few starters. And eventually, in a few years, they they learn stuff. Unlike so many other sectors where you need a degree to even get a foot in the door, and Absolutely. then you yeah. climb and a certain is, ladder. It's the same thing in US as well. It's uh, a lot of the staff are immigrants, you know. and they work really hard and uh, the late anthony bourdain has documented this pretty well uh, right. he's talking about and and i guess the hospitality sector is a great first job to have in a city once you've moved in right and then you can decide whether this is where you want to be or if you want to move on to well, other some spaces of, some of those folks are moving because they need something right and uh, this is one of those sectors that keeps them employed and uh, i don't know if they have a lot of choice in that they can go and, and join a call center or something like that but uh, on the flip side they do tend to work hard at it because they need it <laughs> so there's that yeah. and it's more stable that way when the call center jobs move to philippines very quickly right right i mean the, the restaurant, restaurant jobs won't <laughs> that's uh, true <laughs> you can't have someone outsource your dinner to philippines right so uh, in a way it's very yeah. locally grounded i just like to add something to what manu said about uh, these people who start off you know trainees and then um, work their way up to starting their own restaurants uh, you have no idea how many people come to me pavan and say why oh, i want to start a restaurant because i love food so much or i love cooking so much and i tell them no you do not you believe me you, you think cooking for four people is fun when you to cook for 40 people 50 people at a stretch it is not fun anymore it is uh, really hectic and it's you're not and it's it. something yeah. else right yeah, it's mean, it's not even the same just because you like food doesn't mean you have it in you to run a restaurant there's a whole lot more that goes on behind the scenes and cost management uh, key. let me put it this way it's a non-stop stress generator and it doesn't close right you don't have holidays you don't have uh, christmas holidays or new year off whatever the, the days other people have holidays you're probably working extra hard like the weekends right. and uh, valentines day and all that and so uh, it's a living embodiment of murphy's law 
uh, on any given day anything can go wrong two of your chefs haven't turned up or the air conditioning in one section of your restaurant broke down and uh, people aren't going to stick around uh, for you to fix that right right uh, that'll take a couple of days so yeah <laughs> and it's so easy to upset people it right? is Compared that's i think we should we talk are about easily that easily upsettable yeah. people so <laughs> <laughs> given the explosion of this scene right and clearly not only is it generating income and therefore actually contributing significantly to india's economy as well yeah. you're creating an enormous number of jobs yeah um i mean we are estimating that india needs about 20 million jobs to be created year on year on year and i'm guessing that a lot of that will come from hospitality from food processing and from related sectors mm, i i I'd go out on a limb and say i think nearly 5 to 10% of it could come from the sector absolutely so given the national importance of this apart from the personal importance this has to uh, most of us how has the government sort of been looking at this at the, at the protest level how does a government treat a restaurant owner oh they've been looking at it gleefully rubbing their hands in joy and saying wow <laughs> you know payday because that's really what it's turning out to be uh I, the restaurants are soft targets and it 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 stems from the fact that it's largely an unstructured business mm mm-hmm. uh so unity is always an issue um unlike substantial uh, lobbies in other industries uh, be it even the jewelry you know jewelers for example i remember recently when something went down with the tax with the jewelers they all just shut shop uh, right. that will never happen in the restaurant business unfortunately um, and this isn't a call to arms but <laughs> it is uh, what exposes us to a lot of uh, unnecessary harassment uh, a lot of red tape there is no form which i can go and collect from any government office which teaches me or tells me how to open a restaurant if i want a restaurant with liquor then god help me because that's just another game altogether and you have to be a masochist if you want to start a bar in in the city or this country for that matter and there are just a huge number of contradictory laws or laws that are pulled out from old rule books and then imposed on this new paradigm right uh whatever existed in the examples? 70s uh, let's say the current impasse right now there there's there's a new no- notification which would actually it started in 99 um uh, uh it it basically exploded in 2005 uh, essentially as a measure by the then police commissioner or the then polity to curb uh the very uh, large number of uh, dance bars that existed uh, in in bangalore urban specifically uh which then got contested by them uh it was upheld in the high court it was moved to the supreme court and finally 2018 13 years later the supreme court basically upheld uh the order the supreme court did not pass any law which is you know the supreme court can't pass any law Uh, and that's really is getting thrown around by people and saying yeah. that the supreme court has passed the law i said no they can't pass the law they just upheld the it's law it's common i mean uh this thing that he's referring to i see it all the time in news reports that the police commissioner is helplessly saying the supreme court has passed the order but this is not true it's outright wrong it's 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 a lie so the supreme court has just has said not, that no, the police said, have the right to issue this yes that's pretty much it so anything that's going on right now is squarely in the uh, you know um, in the court of the police department and and the the government of the day but tell us a little more what the ostensible problem they were trying to solve was uh, these so, are places like i said because it's come back 13 years later the scenario is very different but we just uh, a little while ago explained to you what happened in the last 5 years let alone right. the last 13 years 
when it when it was upheld essentially which was very recently it was january of this year uh, uh you know the police commissioner's office basically turned around and said now this is applicable to anybody who wants to as per that rule play any sort of music so if you want to play music it could be live music it could be a dj it could be piped music recorded mm-hmm. music uh, needs to apply for a license there's no music ban but in effect it is because to uh, obtain the types of paperwork that have been asked for are not virtually they are impossible uh, which is again this is where the contradictions come into play right because when you open a restaurant you go to the the local civic body and saying that i want to open a restaurant i need to apply for a trade license i need to apply for a food safety license i need to apply for all kinds of other things uh, and they come and they check your premises uh including excise and they issue your licenses now suddenly you're told that you need an occupancy certificate which was never really under the purview of the restaurant owner it was always the landlord okay. and there was no document that or no license that we needed to ever apply for which required an occupancy certificate right so one just assumed that you were in a premises which was legit right and you had a contract with uh, the landowner and right? you had a registered lease deed and exactly. and the the landowner's paying property tax as well so as far at as the commercial rates at commercial, at commercial rates. rates so yes. the bbmp has legitimized that property otherwise why collect tax from it you know just say no you can't stand <laughs> i'm bringing it down but no you can't have it both ways right? so now there's something new called the occupancy certificate yeah, yeah. and that's something about 80% of the buildings in bangalore don't have and okay. uh, uh, the reasons for it are simply bbmp bylaws which require have certain requirements for uh, setbacks and things like that um, which make it very difficult to obtain so you have to ask yourself why is it that something that is supposedly so important is not there not in like 10% of buildings but 80% of the buildings so there must be something that makes it impractical right and that's usually the the aim of a lot of these regulations is to create enough ambiguity or make it impractical that someone has to uh, let's say expedite the process by uh, helping in revenue generation are those enough so, euphemisms for you <laughs> so, so so that's the weapon now the occupancy certificate well, is one of the it's, weapons well it's well it's not a weapon it's just there and so is the fire noc now we are completely for as an industry uh, working towards as much fire safety as possible but it needs to be rationalized it just cannot be this old docket that's pulled out from somewhere right. which was framed for very large commercial establishments and then you know copy paste it to a two story three story uh, tiny little building on a 60 by 80 plot right. uh, and saying you need this level of compliance even the fire guys would laugh at it because the amount of compliance required for that would eat up half your property okay um, or like a full extra staircase and all kinds extra of- staircase is a perfectly legitimate request okay. uh, but when you have no setbacks and one building is built next to the other constantly right. where are you going to put that staircase unless they you know give us some kind of uh, solution like new york has right it always has towards the front of the building because new york also had the same issue every building was built next to each other uh, there's no setbacks in new york per se mm-hmm. uh, the second issue is that you need to have uh, x amount of uh, uh, water tank capacity on top as well as in the ground now if you see the square foot requirement of an underground tank on an already built building it's impossible you can't dig out your ground floor and then suddenly put a tank over there right it's impossible right. but it's required by that list <laughs> so who's going to rationalize it 
the fire department needs to rationalize it and some of the fire guys will off the record even tell you you guys have enough in terms of fire safety measures uh, from two way speakers alarm systems smoke detectors sprinkler systems fire hoses you name it all of it is there including exits that's enough that usually is enough anywhere in the world but this old rule is not going to be applied now to be able to play music even recorded music i need both the fire noc and noc they both virtually not virtually like i said they are impossible so you can serve food without this absolutely yeah, ironic you, right you'd think a restaurant would require the same noc right i mean it's just a susceptible fire but no it's only for bars and playing recorded music why does recorded music impose an additional uh, requirement for safety i don't know so i guess uh, music and sound makes places more <laughs> flammable right or makes people more flammable but it's okay i mean there there is an exceptions list in which i can play a certain kind of classical music i can play yakshagana so there's uh, i mean one one's got to wonder is this just some larger moral policing issue and uh, a little bit of judicial overreach because i can blast yakshagana remixes and have everyone dancing and still be a hazard at many <laughs> levels right so it it really needs a little thinking through uh, by the polity in place saying okay we are getting a little ridiculous the impacts have been immediate because what's the first thing that's going to be impacted is going to be the excise revenue now do understand that and i'm sure you can do a, a separate podcast on that alone is it the excise revenue is the second largest contributor to the exchequer in the state absolutely uh, it should i think if all stays well and on track it should breached the 20000 crore mark this year uh i think 90 to 95% of that comes from the city of bangalore um right you are compromising that all the indirect taxes and direct taxes are going to disappear that this industry pays from you know gst excess gst on rent income tax you name it what is the end goal it's impossible for us to determine right now i mean what's at play it, it makes no sense but when you also to ask yourself what is the ostensible aim of these regulations i mean what are they supposed to achieve are, is crime supposed to go down uh, are people supposed to be safer um and i mean all you're doing really is putting a whole lot of musicians dj's and restaurants out of business and restaurants already are a tough business to be in the investment amount required is in crores um, it used to be tens of lakhs earlier but it's now it's in crores um and like you said earlier people are not going just for food they're going for experiences and what kind of experience is it that uh, you go to a restaurant and it's completely quiet and you can just have a drink and there's no ambience to speak of right i mean uh, it's pointless if you're not selling alcohol uh if your sales are down by 50% which is what i'm hearing uh, at a lot of places your excise department revenues already hit and on top of that the excise department also has a mandatory minimum that you need to sell every month uh, your quota and right. if you don't you can be fined so see the additional cost of all this compliance right it's it's completely bonkers Right. So let's say that I have all my paperwork in place. I'm one of those few lucky buggers who has an OC and a fire NOC. Okay. Or let's say I have a building which is pre 1976, in which case I don't need a OC. I need a structural clearance from the uh, department. Uh, okay. Uh, the local department, right? What next? Then I have to go to the commissioner's office. I have to fill in the application. I have to furnish all the documents. Then I am told. that now that you have furnished all the documents you need to take an ad in the newspaper out uh, vernacular as well as english in the leading dailies uh, asking if there are any objections 
from the public at large or any organization uh, for this particular establishment to play music. Wow. If there are no objections received in the next two weeks, it should be good and we will give you a license for one year. <laughs> Meanwhile, if you put the ad in the paper also, which means you follow through the, to the next step, the traffic police department is going to show up and check whether you have enough parking in your establishment. If you are not a pack parking hazard in any way or, you know, stopping traffic, etc. Uh, and uh, whether you have an in and an out gate. Please name me 20 restaurants in the city which would have that. <laughs> or 20 areas that would have it. I mean, the only people who would probably have that is the five-star hotel. Right. So, I mean, this is really where it leads to next. Net-net, it's going back to the same old point, which is ostensibly what is the end goal of this one? It seems to be self-destruction of the exchequer, nothing else. Uh, I mean, seems like we're going towards uh, sort of what Chennai has been for a while, right? I'm, I'm sure it's changing now. This idea that you could only go drink at a five-star restaurant or at the local Tasmac. I mean, Bangalore is a place which is not like that, right? And I mean, we were someone... It's supposed to be a liberal, quote-unquote, city, right? And the, the pub city, all well, that. that. that's become a dirty word yeah. now, right? So we're not going to use the word... We're not liberal. Uh, yeah, anyway. but we, and we had pubs way back. Um, and now, uh, finally, after uh, much lobbying, they actually changed the closing hours from 11.30 to 1.30. So <laughs> things have changed, but... This makes no sense. To me, the larger thing about how the, especially the local government deals with businesses has been largely missing from the conversation as well, right? Even what little conversation happens in the policy spaces around cities is about cities and public service delivery, right? How do you make, provide slightly better roads, slightly better water supply and so on. All of that is geared towards the citizens. But the citizens of any city spend an inordinate amount of time engaging with businesses, sitting in restaurants, working in offices, um, you know, being in other establishments which are of a commercial nature. And if the city cannot engage businesses well, and all modern cities outside India engage businesses well, right? Because businesses bring in jobs, businesses bring in revenue, taxes, and uh, make the city flourish. So I think to me, while this is uh, clearly there is an issue of, okay, uh, who scratches whose back and a, and a messed up political economy in place locally, this larger conversation of cities which speak to their businesses and hear and listen to their businesses is something that I think uh, is a conversation that is yet to be started in India. Yeah. I mean, if you look at just the ease of doing business uh, across the country. There is no ease. I'm sorry. <laughs> other cities at least are trying uh, proactively. I wouldn't say all of them, but some of them are definitely trying proactively to woo uh, our industry in through either single window clearances, reducing the number of uh, licenses. Bombay used to have 40 licenses required. It came down to 20, 10 okay. of which could be got from the same department. Life was simplified. Uh, that is when Bombay, Bombay's restaurant scene exploded. Real estate is in Bombay is preposterous now. It's It's hit some 400, 450 rupees a square foot in some areas. This is Where, a rental, right? The rental, wow. uh, yes, imagine. <laughs> yeah. And there are parts of the state where you can probably buy a property at that price. But yeah. there's tax being paid on it, where it's going. I mean, it's the, it's the richest municipal corporation in the country for Absolutely. a reason. Um, and Bangalore is one of the poorest. I mean, our budget still struggles to cross 5,000 crores and we are already have more than a crore people. So we're talking about... 
And take excise in itself. I mean, excise, such a large yeah. contributor to the exchequer. We've already established that. And these are large posters you will see in the excise office itself. It's not something that I'm con- concocting over here. They're very yeah. proud of the fact that they collect such large uh, And Karnataka revenues. is one of the largest excise revenues in the country. Absolutely. But if you look at it overall, if you look at it as from a national perspective, most uh, states which have uh, re- more relaxed uh, uh, liquor policies, I mean, obviously not Gujarat and Bihar, etc., uh, you will see that nearly 18 to 22% of revenues are coming from excise. So right. excise is always, and that's why it's always a state mandated subject. They wouldn't let go of this, you know, this is their cash cow. And especially now with GST going into sort of state plus union, yes. a joint thing, excise is one thing that the states have some so, amount of control over. Exactly. So you take that and ask them when was the last time they issued a new liquor license? There wasn't any. 1993. So they're not issuing new liquor licenses. Excise revenue is still going up. Yeah. So there is liquor being consumed, right? It's because the number of people have gone up. The the, right. the younger population is definitely up. The millennials, so to speak, and more. Um, there is a lot of consumption. But why this racket of not issuing new licenses? Would that not make things legitimized? Would it not be easier to track what's happening? Of course it would be. But does it happen? No, it doesn't. There's, there's there's some sinister thing at play over there, which I really don't know. It's a know. moralistic thing, honestly. It's a, it's a moralistic... It's a, it's, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. So the moralistic thing is that you only issue X number of licenses per units of population, right? To prevent people from drinking too much. At the same time, like you pointed out, it's the biggest, <laughs> uh, one of the biggest uh, uh, revenue generators for, for government. So what do you do? So, so it goes, you back do things to my, like, uh, goes back to this idea, right? That... While we have food safety regulation, it does everything but regulate food safety, right? There are enough restaurants in town where eating food is actually a fairly unsafe activity. Well, the purpose of most right? regulation is actually harassment, honestly. It's uh, it's discretionary, uh, right? And regulations are formed in such a uh, way that uh, they could pretty much pick one piece of cauliflower that accidentally fell off your counter and say that uh, you're a health hazard. So uh, all that's needed to shut down your restaurant. And the biggest problem in the restaurant business is that there is no do-over, right? If you had to close for some reason for a day, you had lost that day's entire day's revenue and you don't ever get it back. And that's quite a chunk of money. And, and you don't necessarily lose that day's costs. Yeah, so the costs you are, are basically being there. blackmailed. And and they hold all the power. So the legal, uh, you might go to court and win after six months, maybe. But then what happens in the mean, meantime? And Manu knows this, unfortunately. Uh, what happened last year with all the the MG road fiasco, but the highways and all all that. Uh, that revenue is never coming back. And I think uh, restaurants are some of the most, uh, you know, um, in terms of compliance the amount of documentation required is staggering. I mean, I don't think retail has that kind of thing. Uh, it's Maybe construction has, but uh, it's just crazy how many departments and how many people you have to get uh, approvals from and keep them happy on an ongoing basis. So, so okay. every time you hear people, you know, uh, talk about how expensive booze is getting, you have to realize there have been no fresh licenses issued in 25 years and the number of licenses in the city has been constant. So, classic economics basically you have a fixed supply and rising demand so what's happening is that you have to buy it from someone else and that guy in turn extracts a, uh, quite a bit of money from you right. because that's an asset now <laughs> you never thought a license would be an asset but it is like the taxi medallions in new york a while ago right? yeah. exactly and it's going to close now <laughs> it used to be uh 
eight and a half, nine lakhs in 2003 when I set up my place. And now it's, I don't know the latest figure, but I'm sure it's like a, a crore and a half. Now imagine a person having to get a crore and a half just to get a license from someone. And that's before even going to the excise department and transferring it into his name. Those costs, where do they go? They go get passed on as higher costs right. to you, the prices to you. Which is why sometimes drinks in Bangalore will be the same cost as drinks in cities. I found a cheaper drink in Europe yeah. often. Yeah. So, and New York sometimes. And New York is not a cheap place to drink. We're basically effectively changing the nature of restaurants because of all the silly red tape and rising costs. To be able to make a buck uh, in the in the prevailing scenario, you have no choice but to focus on liquor sales. You have no choice but to add more volume. You have no choice but to bank on economies of scale. Even if you're a unstructured small venture, because you walk into a pub and it's packed, it's not necessarily because the person is genuinely enjoying having more patrons that they can handle. That's the only way they're going to be able to rake up some numbers to rationalize the cost of a forbiddingly expensive license, uh, to rationalize the cost of increased uh, you know payouts to uh, their employees and real estate so you'll basically become a pub city and nothing else what will happen to poor restaurants who are trying to serve only good food it'll be impossible why is that happening because these commercial zones where a lot of these pubs etc are sprouting is essentially where people can get to easily right there's access so city planning has has basically facilitated areas like these to become the centers of uh, F&B and for them to be able to rationalize the cost they need to be able to sell more liquor and that's why they're bustling it could be like any uh, street in London or anywhere else in Europe or Southeast Asia anywhere really Sri Lanka for that matter or Goa <laughs> or Goa I mean Goa of course is a lot more spread out now uh, right. and, and you know lots of little centers have taken over but how how do you win this? There is no win in this situation. And the burden of policing also now comes onto the restaurant. Right. How many things can you be? Uh, if you have only one or two patrol cars in an entire area with, you know, lakhs of people living there and hundreds of restaurants, you know, things will bound to go off at some point. Uh, if you drink too much and you walk up, you know, five streets in London and create a ruckus, is the restaurant owner going to come and chase you down and find and see what you're doing? Or would it be effective policing in the area? Right. And there's obviously some citizen responsibility also. You don't expect every, you know, to be bumping into yubs every day in London. It doesn't happen like that. And I'm just, I'm, I'm using London as just one random example, right? Right. So, making the whole business unviable is really what the environment has become. Given the fact that it's, you know, become so large and substantial. Uh, it can be catastrophic if there isn't some very serious public policy change uh, or at least change in the thought reform, process yeah. uh, and reform especially, which uh, organizations like the National Restaurant uh, Association of India uh, and others, of course, the hotels have their own bodies, uh, are trying to work towards engaging with uh, policymakers to try to simplify things for everybody. And uh, modernize them from the 21st century, right? Completely, because like I said, this is the new paradigm. The The nature of going out has changed uh, fundamentally. Uh, to see a grandmother celebrating a 70th birthday at a pub is not an uncommon sight anymore. <laughs> it, it would have been, you know, something that would have made the papers 15 years ago. But that's the new <laughs> normal. If they're not going to accept the new normal, then, you know, essentially that's an ostrich syndrome. 
keep collecting the money but keep saying that nothing has changed we are in 2018 it's high time we realize that we need laws and policies that can govern modern cities so on that note uh, thank you so much madhu thank you so much madhu for coming on the pragati podcast we it's great to be to here thanks have you back here once maybe some of these things start changing and we i hope to have you back here well, in I the year or so i hope it actually happens because then oh. that'll be a nice podcast to do when <laughs> something actually has changed because of this yes thank you so much pleasure thank you for staying with us till the end if you have any questions for our guests or us hosts do write in to podcast@thinkpragati.com thank you for staying with us till the end visit our website at thinkpragati.com for your daily dose of brain fodder on all things public policy you can subscribe to the pragati podcast on the ivm podcast app or wherever else you get your podcast from we're there everywhere every week comes a show together to tell you about stuff they like a movie a tv show a book and other stuff tune in every monday on the ivm podcast app to ivm likes batman approves this message thank you batman Did I just catch you on your way to work or did you end up pulling an all nighter? Let me guess. You have a packed schedule for the day, the week, and probably the month and the year. That's a lot for your mind to handle, don't you think? This buzzing chaos also brings tons of negative thoughts. Am I right? Try spinning that bottle in a positive direction with me, Chetna, on the Positively Unlimited podcast every Monday on IBM Podcasts. It's time to change your life. one alphabet at a time.